Let's open in the Word of God this evening to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Sometimes this is called the Acts of the Apostles, but these are really the Acts of Jesus Christ, the Ascended Christ, through the Apostles, and that becomes clear in the very first verse of this book, which contrasts uh, what's written in this book, the book of Acts, to what Luke wrote in his former treatise about what Christ began to do and teach. Acts chapter 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that is, after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And we'll read this far. In the holy and inspired word of God, we're going to consider tonight verses 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. The ascension of Jesus Christ, beloved, is worthy of our celebration, and it is because of the blessings and the victory that come through the ascension of Jesus Christ. 
There are the blessings that have to do with what Jesus is doing in heaven today as our intercessor and our advocate and the one who rules over all things to, to the church, it says in Ephesians, for the sake of the church. And there are also the blessings that he brings in the earth to man. He gave gifts unto men, the pouring out of the Spirit, all the blessings of salvation that come through the work of the Holy Spirit, the gathering of the church by the gospel, the white horse riding forth, conquering and to conquer. There are blessings enjoyed, personal blessings, blessings in the church. And then there's the victory of the ascension of Jesus Christ. That, we could put it this way, one of us, a true man, made it to heaven made it into the presence of God. Jesus, as a man, has overcome every obstacle, has pressed through every barrier. He's overcome death, sin, and the grave for us, for us men, and for our salvation to bring us, in the end, to glory. And that victory continues in his rule from heaven over all things today. So we have something this evening to celebrate in the blessings and in the victory of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Tonight, though, we're going to focus on the event of the ascension of Jesus Christ and especially the word of the angels to the gazing, questioning disciples when Jesus was taken from them into heaven. About this, there are two things to, uh, for us to understand. First, we should understand, as we look at the response of the disciples to the ascension of Jesus Christ, we should understand where they are at, where they're at in, we could say, the history of salvation. And this is where they're at. They're between the cross of Jesus Christ and the defeat of sin and death, but before, between the cross and the pouring out of the Spirit on Pentecost. So we might look at them and, and be somewhat hard or difficult or, or hard or judgmental of them and they're gazing into heaven. But we must understand that the Spirit has not yet been poured out. There is a rebuke here and we want to look at it, but we want to learn from it, especially for ourselves. They are learning and we must learn what they learn from the word of the angels. And that's the second thing here, that the message of the angels to them is not just a message for them, but it's a message for the church throughout the ages, for all of God's people who've lived. What they learn, we must also learn. And that's a very important thing, as we'll see, for us as God's people here in the world, waiting for the promise of Jesus' return. So let's consider tonight the angel's message to the gazing disciples. Notice first the problematic gazing, and then second the promised return, and then third the proper activity. The problematic gazing. In verse 10, we see that the group of 11 disciples looked steadfastly toward heaven. That is, there was a continual gaze, an intent looking into the sky, squinting 
and focused. And if we had walked past, we would have looked in the same direction as them. What are they looking at? Over the previous 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus had appeared to them frequently, not only to prove that he was risen from the dead, but to give them specific instruction beyond his ascension. And some of that we see here in the earlier part of the chapter, verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then a little later in uh, verse 8, ye shall receive power, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jesus appears to them to give them this kind of instruction. And what I just read in verse 8 is Jesus' final instruction. Sometimes we think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, as the final instruction of Jesus. That was not actually the moment of his ascension. There he gives the Great Commission. But here he gives something more specific to them as disciples. They would, from Jerusalem, branch out to Judea, Samaria, and from there to the uttermost parts of the earth in the preaching of the gospel. And what we find in Luke chapter 24, verse 51, is that while Jesus gives these final instructions to them, he raises his hands to bless them, and while he is blessing them, he's parted from them. He's carried up into heaven. And Luke adds here, in Luke chapter 1, that a cloud covered him from their sight, received him out of their sight. The idea is not that he, rode, that he rode the cloud, but the idea is that as he ascended from the ground, the cloud eventually covered him, and they gazed after that cloud. It's important for us to think of this as one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. Because in those post-resurrection appearances, Jesus is teaching his disciples not only by the words that he brings to them, but also he's teaching them something about himself and his glorious resurrection body in the manner in which he appears to them. In many of his other appearances, Jesus had been with them and then simply had vanished from their sight. But here, his departure from them is very intentional. He's taken from the earth up into heaven till a cloud covers him from their sight. And the clear message in this to the disciples is that now in his physical body, he changes the location, his location from earth to heaven, and that this is his final departure from them till he will come again on in the second coming. They would not see him again. And the disciples were witnesses here of his ascension into heaven. What a wide-eyed wonder they must have had as we read of them looking steadfastly into heaven as he went up. Their focus, something like the focus of someone on a, on a plane that's taken off and is disappearing into the clouds as they watch the Savior disappear. And then suddenly, and that's the idea in verse 10, behold, two men stood by them. 
That word behold calls our attention to something that's sudden, that's dramatic. Behold, two men stood by them. To these intently gazing, distracted disciples, there suddenly appear two men clothed in white. And the two men clothed in white are obviously angels. Angels are heavenly sent messengers. God has sent them. And God has sent them to explain something to the disciples, not only about what has just happened and what it uh, teaches the disciples, but also about what they must do now that Jesus has gone into heaven. And their message is delivered as a question. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? That question is both a rebuke and a call to action, to obedience. It exposes a problem with what they are doing, and the force of it is this. You ought not be gazing up into the sky. Why was this gazing wrong of the disciples? Or what did it indicate? Well, it indicates, first of all, that they want Jesus to remain with them. And that's why the angel comes to them to rebuke them. They didn't want Jesus to leave, and that's clear in the gospel accounts, even though it t- Jesus had told them both before and after his, resurrection, his crucifixion and resurrection, he had told them repeatedly, I go to my Father. It's very obvious that this is not what they want. They want things, perhaps to go back to the way they were before his death and resurrection, or if that can't be, they're at least maybe satisfied, becoming comfortable with the new arrangement of Jesus appearing to them from time to time. And this desire for Jesus to remain with them physically was a reflection of a selfish attitude that didn't really hear what Jesus had said about the blessings of his ascending into heaven. They liked it when Jesus was with them. They didn't hear his word about what would happen when the Spirit would come and the great blessing, the greater blessing that the Spirit would be not just for them, but for all of the church in the New Testament. And that's why the angels come to them and ask them this question, why stand ye gazing into heaven? The angels want them to change their perspective to have a different attitude and approach from from that which is physical and seen with the physical eye to seeing something with the eye of faith. They must not live in the past and their experiences of the past with the physical presence of Jesus, but they must now go forward in faith and enjoy the better presence that will come to them in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has told them this very clearly and very specifically in John 16, verse 7. It is expedient, he says. And that word means both necessary and better. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, and now he's going to tell them why it's better and why it's necessary. If I depart, I will send him unto you. And they need to move their eyes from the physical, the cloud, the body, the presence of Jesus Christ to that which is spiritual, the Holy Spirit coming to the church. Now, 
There's application in that for us. And it's this, that we ought to appreciate and enjoy the presence of the ascended Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit whom he has sent to be with us. Sometimes we have a gaze or a memory or a longing that reflects something like the gaze of the disciples here. We fail in that to see the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the present. We can be selfish in our desires. We long for better days of the past. We long for something different in the future. And Jesus promises, I'm with you always. And what we ought to be seeing and what we ought to be appreciating is the presence and the work of the Spirit in the church and in the gospel and in our lives from day to day so that we're not hankering after something different or something else. Yes, we, we live in hope, but the hope that we have should give us strength and courage in the present. And so these two suddenly appear to the disciples to call them to the present, to the present. They're rebuked in the second place because they are still clinging to a wrong idea of the work of Jesus Christ and the nature of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that he establishes by the cross. And that's very clear in what they say to Jesus, their last words to Jesus before he departs. In verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They're looking for an earthly kingdom. They're looking for a kingdom that's based there in Palestine. They're looking for dominion and rule for the Jewish people. They're looking for a deliverance from Roman tyranny and occupation. They haven't seen, they still don't see the spiritual significance of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Instead of saying, tell us more about your spiritual kingdom or help us to understand the task that will be ours, they're saying, Lord, now, now is the time for you to establish the earthly kingdom. There's a certain impatience in that question there in verse 6. And Jesus, in verses 7 and 8, very interestingly, doesn't answer their question directly about the restoration of the Jewish kingdom. Instead, he speaks of something that right now they won't understand until the Spirit is poured out and they begin the great task of preaching the gospel and the gathering of the church. That's verses 7 and 8. He said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power. He doesn't say, I won't restore the kingdom to Israel. He simply says, It's not for you to know how the kingdom will be restored or will come. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, and that's talking about the expanding witness of the gospel. And we see that very quickly in the book of Acts. 
And certainly this teaches us something as well. We shouldn't be looking to advance in the name of Jesus Christ an earthly kingdom, but rather the kingdom, which is the spiritual rule of grace established by the gospel, the word, in the hearts of those who believe. And the focus of the work of the, of the, work of the church is not social and cultural, but is to bring a gospel to sinners in the same way that Jesus did when he came and he ate with publicans and sinners. And he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance and came with a good word for the weary and the heavy laden. But the other part of the application of this word is that we must rest in our work of preaching the gospel in the sovereignty of God. It's not for you, Jesus says, to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power. And that's a very important and encouraging thing for us that, that comes up again and again in the ministry of Jesus with regard to the great work of preaching the gospel. Paul recognizes this as well when he says, I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so Jesus speaks of, a, of the word as something like a seed that's sown. And we preach the word, we do that faithfully, but the times and the seasons, the, the fruit and the benefit, the effect of the word is something that we leave in the Lord's hands. And so really it's simply this, to be patient with the Lord's work and to be busy in the calling that he has given us in the preaching of the gospel. The third reason for the rebuke of the angels is that the disciples in this heavenward gaze were not obeying the commandment of Jesus. There was inactivity, we might say, reflected in this gaze. And the angels coming to them is really this. Not only to call them back to the present, but to call them to their duty in obedience to Christ in the present. Didn't the Savior tell you to do something? Then returned they, verse 12, unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. Jesus said, go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit. That's verse 4. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. And so after the word of the angels, that's what the disciples do. In obedience, they hurry back to Jerusalem. Luke says that they do this with joy. Don't you hear the angels, as it were, speaking to the church throughout the ages in this, calling us to obedience to Jesus Christ and calling us away from ourself and our own ideas to, to be busy with that which God in Jesus Christ has commanded us to do? We can, as it were, spend so much time gazing into wonders, spiritual things, doctrines, but these don't produce the obedience that there ought to be in our lives. Doctrine according to godliness. 
Or we can be very reluctant to follow the command of Jesus to be his witnesses and to take the gospel to every creature, which is the command of the ascending Jesus Christ. The ascended Christ gave gifts unto men. And if we turn to Ephesians 4, we see that the gifts there are the teaching gifts in the church. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, teachers. And he did that so that by the teaching gifts, we might be equipped for the equipping of the saints and for the work of serving, for the work of ministry. And Christ has called us and does call us by the word, not just to marvel at theology and doctrine or the wonders of the ascension, but to be busy in his work so that we're equipped to serve and to be busy in his work. Our theology should direct us heavenward, but at the same time, it should move and empower us in our lives in the present. And that's why the angels come and rebuke the disciples. Why stand ye gazing into heaven? But then notice uh, the second part of their message, and that's in verse 11. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. There's instruction here in the appearance of Jesus Christ, and we could say the disappearance of Jesus Christ. And there's motivation here to be busy in the work that Christ has called us to do. This same Jesus. What a marvelous promise these angels give to the disciples. The disciples are at this moment thinking with burdened souls, He's gone. Well, what they ought to be thinking, and that's the corrective word of the angels in their promise, is, he will return. And that's what the church has held on to, and that's the, the message for the church throughout the ages. He will return. That's the perspective that we must have as we walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus so often teaches his disciples in his different appearances to them something about his glorious resurrection body and and what that means for us. And here he teaches them, he demonstrates to them as he ascends from them in their sight into the clouds of heaven. He demonstrates to them what it will be like when he comes again. So Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus speaks of the sign of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And that's the word of the angels to the disciples here. Not he's gone, but he'll come again. He'll come again bodily. There are some things for us to see here in the, in the instruction of the angels as well as the demonstration of Jesus as he departs. The first is this, that his coming will be a personal and a physical and a bodily appearance. This same Jesus. That's our hope as believers in this world. Jesus himself will come. That's the way it's put in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. We call it the parousia. That means the manifestation in the clouds, in the heavens 
of Jesus Christ himself. He himself will come. And that appearance will be a public and a visible appearance. He will come in like manner. That is, he will come on the clouds of heaven. And Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 tells us, Every eye shall see him. It will be a sudden, it will be a miraculous appearance on the clouds of heaven. And all shall see him. All nations. Also those who pierced him. And his appearance will be glorious. He ascended in his glorious resurrection body and so he will come again on the clouds of heaven miraculously and there'll be a light from one end of the heavens to the other in Matthew 26 24 Jesus speaking to the high priest says this hereafter shall ye see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven every eye shall see him. And that day, the day of the return of Jesus Christ, will be the, we could say, the culmination of his glorification. His glorification, you can think of it in the different steps, his resurrection, his ascension, his sitting at God's right hand, his universal rule, and then his coming again to judge the living, and the dead. And everywhere the Scripture presents to us the return of Jesus Christ as a day of victory, a day of deliverance, a day of glory, a day of renewal. This is the next great event on God's redemption calendar. It's what we're waiting for. We're not waiting for something here on the earth. We're not waiting for some kind of earthly kingdom, but we're waiting for Him to come and dissolve the earthly as it were. Create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're looking for the day in the, the day of the return of Jesus Christ and the consummation of all things and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. From thence he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. And that gives us great motivation to be busy with the work of the Lord. That's what the angels are telling the disciples here. Don't look at heaven from your earthly perspective and wonder where Jesus is, but look at the earth from the heavenly perspective. Catch the vision of the ascended Christ as he rules over all things and he gathers the church by his word. Go, preach the gospel and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And understand what Christ is doing in history as he rules over all things for the sake of his church. One of the commentators puts it this way, and I quote, No time was to be lost in mourning and regret. It was true that their Lord had vanished from their sight, but someday he would reappear. Meanwhile, there was a work for them to do, and this blessed promise of his return was given to inspire them ever to faithfulness in this work. The angels do not hold before the disciples the gifts of Pentecost and the Spirit, but they spoke of the future glorious return of Christ, and this is what inspires them to obedience. Jesus is coming. Jesus, when he speaks of the signs of his coming, puts it this way in Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. 
And you think of that, the end and the preaching of the gospel. There is, as it were, a, a, a mutual relationship between the two. Why is Christ not yet come? Because this gospel must yet be preached. And there are places where this gospel must yet be preached. There are souls who must yet be called from darkness into the light. So let's be busy in the preaching of the gospel. And then we could look at the relationship from the other direction, and that is that the preaching of the gospel is the primary way in which Christ comes. This brings Jesus Christ. And so the word of the angels here to the disciples and to us to be busy in the work of the Lord. And they're inspired then to obedience by his coming. The promise of the return of Jesus Christ does not make them idle. They return to Jerusalem with joy. They wait. Immediately they gather with the church in prayer. They appoint an apostle. And subsequently, after receiving the Holy Spirit, they begin to preach with boldness, and they go out with the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that is the way for the church to wait for Christ. Not to be idle, but to be busy. That's true even for each of us in the calling that God has given us in this life. This was the great problem and you read about it in First and Second Thessalonians, this was the great problem in the church at Thessalonica. They heard that Jesus was coming again. And thinking that Jesus was coming soon, and he is coming soon, they said, well, the earthly doesn't matter. And they didn't work. And they weren't busy in the work that God had given them to do. And it led to idle time, which is opportunity for sin. And they became busybodies, and there was division in the church at Thessalonica. And so the apostle Paul has to instruct them to get busy, to be busy in the church's work, but even in their own lives, to be busy in the calling that God has given to them. And really, this is a, a great temptation that the church always faces, to be distracted from the great task that God has given her to in the Great Commission, bring the gospel to every creature. And instead, she becomes focused on the question, when is Christ coming back? And you only have to think of the, the way that people flock to those with apocalyptic teaching. Predictions of when Jesus is coming again. And so on. There's a, there's a great attractiveness in that kind of thing. The priority should be on the work of the church in preaching the gospel. So the angel's word, go back to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, get busy in the Lord's work. This is the way for us to properly await the coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have an eye on heaven. Yes, we labor in expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. Yes, we must be watching for the signs of his return. And as those signs become more evident, as they increase in intensity and frequency, Jesus says to us, lift up your eyes, for your redemption draws nigh. But that's a totally different perspective than that of the disciples here. 
And we don't know the day or the hour. And so long as Christ delays, we have a calling to be busy in the work that he's given us to do as his people and as the church. Not idle gazing, but busy and faithful in the work he's given us. And the parallel to this is the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Go ye and preach the gospel in all nations to every creature. And then this promise, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so Jesus' word to the disciples and the angel's word to the disciples is to be busy and that he will be with them. And certainly he comes by the Holy Spirit and is with them. So let's tonight remember the, the message of the angels to the disciples and ourselves be busy with the Lord's work till he comes again. Amen. Father, we're thankful for the way in which the Savior departed from the earth and the instruction that he gave in that, also through the angels who came and, and corrected the thinking of these gazing disciples so that they would shift their eyes from the physical presence of the Savior to believing his promise and presence and being busy in the great work that the church has to do to preach the gospel. Keep us faithful in this work, we pray, till the day of Jesus Christ. In his name we ask these things. Amen.